on down the stairs. Ashley, those crutches are just cracking me up, man. <laughs> I told Ashley we're going to hang those crutches up on the wall when we heal her this morning. So she's going to walk out of here. I'm going to break that cast. Anybody bring a little saw? We can just chop that thing off with. Hey, I want to just thank you this morning as we get ready to head into uh, my message today. Um, you know, especially if you're new here and even if you're not, the stuff that we've been talking about the last few weeks is pretty, pretty challenging stuff, pretty heavy stuff. Um, I feel it when I'm preparing it. I feel it when I'm speaking it and having to, you know, to look you in the eye and share some of these things and look myself in the mirror and, and, and deal with the information myself. And so I just want to thank you, um, you know, for coming back, uh, for one, um, and being willing to just go on this journey with us uh, because it's, it's, it's challenging. But I, I want to tell you that, that uh, taking kind of this, some of this stuff head on, this is really just stuff that you know, the Bible talks about that we should be living out as Christians anyways. The problem is, is that so many of us have, have grown up and been in church situations where we just haven't been very honest. We haven't really taken a very hard look at ourselves sometimes. And, uh, and so it's a lot harder to make that change once you've kind of got off on this pattern of kind of living and, and, and communicating in church settings in kind of this shallow way to then, then try to go deeper when you're, you're used to not doing that is difficult. So for those of you that are new or just young in your faith, it's better that you learn this stuff now and start practicing it because once you get into those ruts of, um, of not really examining your life, not really being honest, it's much tougher to get out of that. So uh, why don't you uh, join me in prayer this morning as we head into our time. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we get to come to your word. Um, Lord, we thank you for its truth and for its power to speak into our lives, to show us things about ourselves that maybe we can't always see on our own. We thank you for community, Lord, that we know that um, as we learn things and, and we see things about us that need to change, that, that our brothers and sisters in Christ are the ones that are there to help us to do that. Father, we just invite your spirit to come and to work in us today, prepare us, open us to what you have. God, we want to learn, we want to change, we want to walk out of here today with a, a new sense of purpose and direction of how you want us to live. So we give you this time, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was about a year ago um, when I was just having this kind of season in my life where I um, knew that I needed to deal with some unconfessed sin, uh, which is always a fun place to be. And uh, I... Uh, I had some things in my life that, that I really hadn't been honest with, with people about. I hadn't really confessed some things in my life to, to somebody else. I mean, like, kind of really every humbling detail of some things. And I remember having this sense in my spirit that being completely honest with someone was, was a really important step in my faith and in my leadership um, that if I was going to stand in front of other people and ask them to do some of those things, I had to do them myself. I knew that I was struggling with some guilt over some things that I was hiding as well. Um, so in the midst of that, well, that was troubling news. The good news was that I knew exactly who I needed to go to to, to begin that process. I've had um, a guy that's about 10 years older than me um, in my life for about 15 years. He's been kind of a mentor to me. We've met off and on um, over that time. 
and he's a, a guy that's been down the road a little bit. He's, you know, his kids are older than me. He's gone through some of the things that, uh, that I'm going through now. And all along the way, he's been very open about his own failures and shortcomings. He's been somebody that's really modeled to me what it means to confess your sins to somebody else. He's humbled himself in front of me. He's shared his guilt and pain over some different things in his life. And he's entrusted me with some of, the, some of his secrets. And a lot of times along that journey, I wasn't really ready to reciprocate that level of transparency to him. Um, but he certainly modeled it for me. And I knew that when the time came for, for where I had the courage, I guess, to share some things about myself, that, that he was going to be somebody that I knew I could trust with that stuff. So knowing all that uh, a year ago didn't make it any easier to actually make the call to him and say, hey, I've got some things that I need to confess, and so I'm going to come and meet you. He lives in Kansas City. So we met in Platte City, and um, it took a lot of courage to, to look him in the eye and just really be completely honest about the stuff going on in my life. Um, and because my pride, um, you know, I had to choke that back some. And it's probably always going to be hard uh, when we do that. Today we're going to be merging kind of two themes that we've been talking about uh, this, this whole year. One is the kind of the theme we started at the beginning of the school year called Life Together, where we've been looking at what does it mean to, to live life as the body of Christ? What does the Bible have to say about that, and how do we begin doing it? We're going to merge that theme with what we've been talking about here during the season of Lent, which is you know, self-examination. It's a time to kind of prepare yourself for, for Easter. And so you do that by looking at yourself and, and being honest about your need for Christ and, and that, you, that we are a part of why he had to go to the cross, that my sin contributed to that. And so when we take a look at, at some of those things, our, our flaws and our struggles with our, our self-centered flesh, and when we realize what some of those things are, then the question is, what role do our brothers and sisters in Christ play in helping us find some healing for those things, which is hopefully what we all really desire? And I think it's important as we begin this process this morning that we we remind ourselves a little bit of who it is that we're sharing the pews with today. At Wellspring, I try to, to go to, to pretty regular and great links to remind us all that what unifies us here this morning is, is that we're all sinners and that we're united by our common need for God's forgiveness and common grace. And we're also united by God's love for each one of us. I've said it here before too that the ground at the foot of the cross is level, which means that, that all of us need Christ just as much as the next person here. And so when we come in here on a Sunday morning, we have, there's no room for any of us to feel any kind of pride or arrogance of who we are or who these other people are, because every one of us um, is just in need of God's grace as the next person. Um, and that knowledge, if we believe it and we embrace it, unites us in ways that, that we can't really experience in any, any place else. This, this, this sense that, that we're connected by our common need for Christ. And it's not really what we experience when we go out these doors. Because when we go out these doors and go into the world, what we're told is that what, you, you know, what separates us, instead of what unites us, what separates us are things like you know, our grades, our looks, our success, our titles, our salaries that all of those things are the measure of, of our value and our worth in society. And if we're honest, we know that that's just really not true. 
So if we have that understanding under our belts that, hey, we're all here, we're all common sinners, we're all a little bit messed up, let's begin connecting this information, this knowledge we have with how do we begin helping one another and doing life together as the church. In Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, King David prayed this prayer um, to God. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If we sincerely want to know what it is that's hindering our walk with God, and if we're open to inviting the Spirit to to take a look at us and show us some things that need to change, God is going to answer that prayer. All right? Because that's His desire. His desire is to make us more like Christ. And so he's going to reveal those things. And that process always happens more quickly when we are willing participants instead of being people that want to resist that and resist the truth about ourselves. So once we've been confronted with something that needs to change in our life, and I think probably all of us have some of those things in mind, what's the next step? What, What do we do with that? One important step is discussed in the book of James. I want you to turn your Bibles to James chapter 5, it's page 839. James chapter 5, page 839. We're going to look at verse 13. It says, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, and when you guys read the Bible, whenever you see that word, you need to ask what's the therefore. Okay, so basically saying, therefore, in light of the fact that we see that in any time in our life, whether we're troubled, we're happy, somebody's sick, that we should pray, and that God's capable of doing some things in that, okay? So he says, therefore, because we have that knowledge that prayer is important, that God answers prayer, he says, therefore, confess your sins to each other, and pray for each other, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer who wrote a book called Life Together, which we've kind of based our series on this year, he had this to say about that verse. He says, He who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. It may be that Christians, notwithstanding corporate worship, common prayer, and all their fellowship and service, may still be left to their loneliness. The final breakthrough to fellowship does not occur because though they have fellowship with one another as believers and as devout people, They do not have fellowship as the undevout, as sinners. It's one thing to have a fellowship with a group of people who are all living under the false assumption of how great they are. It's another thing to have a fellowship with a group of people who understand their common need for forgiveness because of their shared brokenness. That's a different kind of fellowship. So there's the command from the Word of God. If you could put James 5.16 up again. I mean, it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? 
I mean, you look at it and you think, okay. Apparently, as Christians, we're supposed to confess our sins to each other and pray for each other so we may be healed. It's like a lot of things in the Bible. There's a lot of things in the Bible that are kind of gray. And then there's some things like this where it's kind of like, oh, okay, that's pretty black and white. There it is. We're supposed to do it. So why don't most of us do it? How come some of us have maybe even really never done it? Why do most of us really resist it? What's that? Shame or embarrassment? What else? Fear? Fear of what? What's that? They'll know you and they won't like you anymore. People might judge me. Why? What's that? Because people are judgmental. Yeah. <laughs> Duh. Right? It's embarrassing, it's humbling. And at the root of all sin is pride. At the root of all sin is pride in this very strong desire that we have to, to protect ourselves from ever really being found out by people for who we really are. Bonhoeffer, again, he understands this dilemma very clearly. This is how he explains it. He says, confession in the presence of a brother is the profoundest kind of humiliation. It hurts. It cuts a man down. It's a dreadful blow to pride. To stand there before a brother as a sinner is a dishonor that is almost unbearable. In the confession of specific sins, our former self dies a painful, shameful death before the eyes of a brother. Because this humiliation is so hard, we continually scheme to evade confessing to a brother. Our eyes are so blinded that they no longer see the promise and the glory in such humility. I don't know about you, but I hate looking foolish in front of other people. I hate admitting that there's an issue in my life that I can't seem to get control over. It's a blow to my pride. And so my constant temptation in the midst of that is to give some version of the truth um, that's you know, a little less than true to kind of help save face. I might ad admit that I've sinned in some way or that I'm struggling, but I usually admit it at kind of a much lower level than really the, the real honest, ugly truth. In my pride, I struggle with coming completely clean. Unfortunately, I've learned over the course of time that the level at which I disclose things about my sin is unfortunately equal to the level in which I receive forgiveness and grace from God and others. And so what happens is, is my dishonesty robs me of ways in which God wants to bless me, the ways in which he wants to show his great love and mercy towards me. I limit that by not really being completely honest with him. I'm coming to learn that humility isn't such a bad thing. Because in humility, we find real brotherhood with Christ. Because Christ suffered a tremendous amount of humility on the way to the cross and on the cross itself. The cross itself. The King of Kings 
was falsely accused. He was beaten. He was spit, spit on. He was mocked. He was killed. If anyone understands humiliation, it's Jesus. But that same humiliation of the cross also offered us forgiveness and life. That's what confession is supposed to do as well. As humiliating as it can be, in the end, it's supposed to bring us forgiveness and life. Confession is a breakthrough to new life because confession breaks the power of secret sin. And David understood as he wrote, as he wrote the Psalms and he poured out his heart, he understood what unconfessed sin could do in your life. Turn your Bibles to uh, Psalm 32. Page 389. Psalm 32, page 389. Beginning in verse 1, David said, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, when he means silent, when I, when I didn't expose my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. David's son Solomon later wrote this in the book of Proverbs. He says, He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces renounces them finds mercy. So after reading these, these couple of passages here, two examples of the benefits of confession... A person might ask himself, well, if I confess to God and he forgives me, then why do I need to bring people into the process? Well, what do I have to gain from confessing to a brother or another person? Well, I'm going to read to you one of the most compelling passages from this book, Bonhoeffer's book on life together. And as we're reading, I want you to be thinking about the answer to that question. And I want, uh, when I'm done, I want to hear some of your thoughts on, on what he had to say. He says, why is it that it is often easier for us to confess our sins to God than to a brother? God is holy and sinless. He is a just judge of evil and the enemy of all disobedience. But a brother is sinful as we are. He knows from his own experience the dark night of secret sin. Why should we not find it easier to go to a brother than to the holy God? But if we do find it easier, we must ask ourselves whether or not we have often been deceiving ourselves with our confession of sin to God, whether we have not rather been confessing our sins to ourselves and also granting ourselves absolution. And is not the reason perhaps for our countless relapses and the feebleness of our Christian obedience to be found precisely in the fact that we are living on self-forgiveness and not a real forgiveness? Self-forgiveness can never lead to a breach with sin. This can be accomplished only by the judging and pardoning word of God itself. Who can give us the certainty that in the confession and the forgiveness of our sins we are not dealing with ourselves but with the living God? God gives us this certainty through our brother. 
our brother breaks the circle of self-deception. A man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experienced the presence of God and the reality of the other person. As long as I am by myself in the confession of my sins, everything remains in the dark. But in the presence of a brother, the sin has to be brought into the light. But since the sin must come to light sometime, it's better that it happens today between me and my brother rather than on the last day in the piercing light of the final judgment. Thoughts? Reflections? How does he answer that question I just posed a minute ago? Why do we have to bring our brother into the equation? Why should we desire to? What's that? Okay. Okay. So it gets us out of the state of denial. I can let myself off the hook pretty easily. <laughs> I'm pretty generous to myself, you know? You're not so bad, you know? Some people struggle with beating themselves up all the time. I'm not. I'm the opposite. I think I'm great, okay? So I can go to confession with God, and I can walk away and think, yeah, I took care of that. All right. My brother might have a little bit more perspective on me than I do. What else came to mind as we went through that? Yeah, Sarah. Okay, makes the accountability of your sin more real, bringing somebody else into the process with you. What else? Anything? Yeah, Bill. I mean, when you think about it, you know, if you really see God for who he is and you really have a clear understanding of God's holiness and how much he hates our sin and disobedience, you know, why wouldn't we want to go to a brother who is also a sinner, who also understands what it means to be fallen? It seems like that'd be a much safer audience. So sometimes if all we're doing is just going to God with these things, maybe we're not really completely understanding who God is in that process. Devin? I was going to say is that um, it should be much easier. Yeah. I think he's calling us out to go to a brother in that to learn about perspective of God. Mm. Yeah, that's good. You know, when you can look into my, my diary, my journal, and I can be very specific when I'm praying to God about my sin and stuff, and then I can be really just not confess to brothers at all or just be really him hot <laughs> around when I'm doing that. Bonhoeffer says that confession is the breakthrough to community. Confession is the breakthrough to community. Why is that? When I thought about that, it's because it's the end of all pretense. We're, not, we're no longer trying to fool anybody or make ourselves look better than we really are. A broken community is a beautiful community. See, nobody wants to be a part of a group of people where they can't admit that they've made some mistakes 
and know that they're going to be loved and accepted anyways. So let's assume that we begin moving in the direction of at least being willing to consider confessing our sins to each other. What variables do we need to consider in the process? I think one of the things that would come to mind, one of your first questions might be, to whom do I confess? Will just anybody do? Bonhoeffer encourages us to seek out those who live what he says calls under the cross of Christ. This is what he says. He says, anybody who lives beneath the cross and who is discerned in the cross of Jesus the other wickedness of all men and of his own heart will find that there is no sin that can ever be alien to him. Looking at the cross of Jesus, he knows the human heart. He knows how utterly lost it is in sin and weakness, how it goes astray in the ways of sin. He also knows that it is accepted in grace and mercy. Only the brother under the cross can hear a confession. See, it's not the experience of life, but it's the experience of the cross that makes a person, person a worthy hearer of confession. And that might be somebody who's 20 years old. It might be somebody who's 50 years old. It has to be someone who truly believes that they're not above any sin or else all they're going to do is just look down on you and judge you because they think, well, I'm not really capable of that. It's hard for us to really be a hearer of confession when we think that we're not possible of committing those kinds of things. He also says that we should only choose people who practice the act of confession themselves. If a person that you're going to isn't willing themselves to be humble and and to put their stuff out there before somebody else, then they're probably not going to handle what you have to share very well. But I want to tell you that at certain points in my life, I haven't had somebody who I would say fits that criteria. And so because I desired to kind of cultivate relationships where where that could happen, this is what I had to do. I had to stick my neck out. And so what I did is I found a friend who I knew would love me no matter what I said, somebody who was a Christian, albeit somebody who was quite a bit more guarded than I was. And and me and this, this friend, we were at a seminary class together. We were in Florida walking out on the beach one night, and I just had some stuff in my life that was just weighing on me, some, some unconfessed sin, and I don't know if you've been there, it was just like, God, I've got to get this out there. I've got to tell somebody. It's just eating, eating away at me. I need some relief. And so I just stuck my neck out there with this guy and just started spilling my junk, and I didn't really expect anything in return from him. Richard Foster, in his book, um, celebration of discipline. He has a chapter on confession, and he has this uh, phenomena in here. He says he calls it freedom begets freedom. And see, even though I didn't have any expectations for what this guy was going to do for me, this is what happened. As he, I think, watched me releasing some of the weight of that sin as God just kind of pulled that stuff off of me, he saw the freedom that I was experiencing And before I knew it, this guy who really never shared any flaws with me before in his own life, he began just putting it out there, man. And it was was amazing. It was a level of intimacy that we'd really never experienced in our friendship before. But it requires somebody sometimes to, to be the first one 
the first one to kind of stick their neck out there and say, you know what, I'm going to move our relationship to a different place and it's going to be uncomfortable, but I'm willing to do it. What's the role of the person who hears confession from another person? So somebody's coming to confess to you. What's your role in that? How do we handle people's stuff in godly ways? I could do about three sermons on this, so I'm going to just scratch the surface. I want you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 20. This, is, this was a new revelation for me. John chapter 20, page 754. Starting in verse 19, this is, this is right after Jesus' resurrection, one of his first interactions with the disciples. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So this is the, one of the first things that Jesus says. He's sending his disciples out into the world to be his representatives now because he's going to be going into heaven here in a minute. You're going to be my representatives in the world, and this is, this is your ministry. He gives them the Holy Spirit, and he says, I want you to go and forgive people's sins. When you forgive them, I forgive them. Richard Foster said this about, about us as, as hearers of confession. He says, the followers of Jesus Christ have been given the authority to receive the confession of sin and to forgive it in his name. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. What a wonderful privilege. Why do we shy away from such a life-giving ministry? If we, not out of merit but sheer grace, have been given the authority to set others free, how dare we withhold this great gift? Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, Our brother has been given to us to help us. He hears the confession of our sins in Christ's stead, and he forgives our sins in Christ's name. He keeps the secret of our confession as God keeps it. When I go to my brother to confess, I am going to God. I want to be that kind of blessing to other people. What a blessing to look at somebody and say, you know what, God forgives you. What an amazing power that we've been given as followers of Christ. But in order to get there, in order to be somebody who's going to be somebody that that other people want to come to in those times... We have to have an awareness of our own sin. We have to be people who are humble and who are confessing our sins to other people or else we can't really expect that people are going to come to us and we're going to miss out on the blessing of being able to forgive other people. And if you don't hear anything else this morning, I want you to hear this, all right? The giving and receiving of confession will do more to bring about unity and brotherhood in, in, in the community, in the church, than any other single activity. Do you understand that? 
The giving and receiving of confession is the key to breaking through into community. You can go on mission trips. You can be in Bible studies. You can serve with people on Sunday morning. You can go play golf with people. You can go on retreats. But those things are going to pale in comparison. That level of intimacy can't be replicated in anything else besides humbly coming and confessing your sins to one another. There's no substitute for that. James 5.16 said, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be what? Healed. Last week when we were looking at the topic of godly sorrow, we looked at 2 Corinthians 7.10 and it said, Godly sorrow brings repentance and leads to salvation. And we talked about that word salvation in the Greek means healed and delivered. So are you guys picking up on a theme here? When it comes to confession, repentance, I kind of try to combine those two words, (laughs) whatever that would be. Um, When it comes to those practices, the end result, the desired result of of confessing your sin, of, of, of repenting, is that you would be healed and delivered. It's not just so you can beat yourselves up or feel bad about yourself. That's not what God's trying to accomplish. In fact, just the opposite. He's trying to heal you of those things. And I want to clarify something for you because after last Sunday, I I talked about deliverance a little bit and I walked away with a question that some people might be thinking. So I'm going to cut you off at the path here this morning. You might be asking yourself, is it possible for us to be completely delivered of our sin in this life? And that's kind of a yes and no. Here's what I would say. Some of our outward behaviors, I think we can be delivered from. I've seen people delivered from addictions. I've seen people delivered from, you know, eating problems, sexual addiction, smoking, alcohol. So I think you can be delivered from those things. I think those inward things, selfishness, pride, envy, jealousy, lust, I don't, I don't think we're ever going to be delivered from those things completely in this lifetime. But here's something, here's a way that God can deliver us in, in, in the process of helping that. Is I think what we can be delivered from is having other things on the throne of our life than God. Because you see, a lot of times when those uh, patterns, those inward patterns, those selfishness, jealousy, all those things are at their worst, it's because we've got something else on the throne of our life besides God. And so when what's on the throne of my life is my personal happiness, we can be really selfish. When what's on the throne of my life is pleasing other people, we can be really jealous and angry and bitter when people aren't responding to us the way we'd want them to. When what's on the throne of my life is more than anything I want to be right, (laughs) that can lead to some bitterness and anger. And what God can do when we switch things up and we put him on the throne is that he can lessen all those other things because they're not the driving desire of our life. When the driving force of our life becomes, I want to please God more than anything, then all of a sudden we find that our selfishness and our anger and our jealousy and those things begin to dissipate. They don't control us like they used to. We can be delivered from some of those things controlling our lives. 
I think that's the offer that God has for us. And we're going to give you an opportunity this morning to put God's word into practice. Because I, I know that it's true for myself is that once I walk out those doors, the chance that I'm really going to do anything in response to what we've heard this morning goes down a significant percentage. And so what we're going to do as we close today, we're going to sing two songs here at the end. We're going to have a kind of a little bit more extended time. We're going to have about six or eight people kind of around the edges of, of uh, the sanctuary. There'll be a couple people up in the balcony. We've got some people that are here just to hear confession this morning. And all of these people that are, are standing out doing this today, they all showed up at 9.30 before church this morning, and we all confessed our sins to each other to, to prepare ourselves to be people that could hear confession. And so... I just want to give you an opportunity because we talk about here that, you know, I can't make you do anything. I can't whip you up into an emotional frenzy, you know, to get you to do whatever. All I can do is just say, hey, guys, there's an opportunity here. There are people here that are ready to hear. If you want some freedom, some forgiveness, some relief from some unconfessed sin in your life, today's the opportunity. And so it's going to take some courage maybe. It's going to take some humility on your part maybe as we stand and we're singing to kind of, you know, slide down the row. I'm one of the sinners, you know. I need to confess something, all right? But guys, the reality is is that every one of you should be in a line this morning, but only some of you are going to be, and that's all right. It took me a while to get there. But I just want to remind you of, of my friend Dietrich's quote this morning. But since the sin must come to light sometime, it's better that it happens today between me and my brother rather than on the last day in the piercing light of the final judgment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're such a good and, and gracious God, that you give us the opportunity to go to one another another broke, broken and messed up person just like us to hear our confession and that they can forgive us and that we can experience some healing and deliverance. God, that's not a substitute for going to you, but it's an added bonus that somebody with skin on standing right in front of us can hug us, can pray for us, can say the words that we, we know you have for us, but sometimes we just need to hear for ourselves. You're forgiven. And God, in your word, you don't excuse people from their sin. When you forgave people, you said, I forgive you, but go and sin no more. That's the desire that you have to free us, to forgive us, to heal us, and that we would go and we would sin no more, that that would be the desire of our heart even if we can't ever completely have victory in that, God, that that would be the, the ruling, driving desire in us, would be to please you. And so, God, I pray for whatever we need this morning. I pray against pride. I pray against fear. I pray against the enemy and how he wants to keep things in secret. He wants to keep us alone and isolated and suffering. I pray against those things. And I pray for honesty and humility and love 
and freedom. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, as you uh, stand with me to sing right now, we're going to sing a couple songs. If you need somebody to pray with you, uh, we're up here, several people around there. You can come on down whenever you're ready.